Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckstables? What the fuck Minster Fullers? What the fucking Ucks? What the fucking Navians? What the fuckaricans? What the fucksicans? For my neighborhood. How are you? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. What's up? What's going on? You all right? Hey, 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 hey. You okay, man? What's what's going on, man? What's going on with you? Whoa, 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 whoa. Relax. Just take a breath. Take a breath. Get hold of yourself. All right? Well, I don't, no, I don't want to sound condescending. This isn't tough love. Just take a breath, man. It's going to be all right. <sighs> okay. Just hang out, man. Just re- relax. 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 Oh, God. Blow it out. <sighs> That's what it sounds like when you blow it out. <sighs> yeah, if you're in your car, scream a little bit. It's all right. Hey, or look, you might be having a good day. Maybe I'm not talking to you. I think you know who I'm talking to, you who I'm talking to. All right, I'm excited about today's show because I talked to David Lowry. David Lowry. Come on, you guys. David Lowry from Cracker, but more importantly, in my mind, maybe not his, but you know what? I like Cracker, but Camper Van Beethoven, those guys were the shit, man. They got a couple new albums out recently, and we talked about it a little bit, me and David, but I'm just excited. Because I'm a huge Camper Van Beethoven fan, and I'm a very big Cracker fan as well. And quite honestly, I love David Lowry's voice. Always have. Always have. I always say I'm one of the great voices in rock music, and uh, I was excited to talk to the dude. It's kind of interesting, you know, when you grow up really respecting uh, an artist and, you know, you love their music, and then, you know, they come in here and it's like, hey, we're just a couple middle-aged guys talking about shit. But uh, it was great to see him. I came into Camper, like, I think it was late, and it was it brought back memories. I don't know how much I've talked about this. By the way, I had a weird dream where my uh, brother shot me with a handgun last night. I don't know what that means. I haven't told him about it, but it was visceral, and uh, I was just, I, was, I, I walked into a room. I saw my brother. He was, uh, you know, he had a handgun, and he was pretty dead set on shooting me, and I was like, no, that wouldn't be good. I stepped out of the room. He fired it, and I felt like I had been punched in the chest, and I looked down at my chest, and then I woke up. So uh, I got to figure out what the hell that's about. I'm going to call my brother up and ask him, you know, what, what's, why are you shooting me in my dreams? That's no good. I have, yeah, but I've been having some fairly lucid dreams lately. Yeah, the dream, yeah, sometimes I dream about the, the ex-wife, which is weird. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that. I've not seen or talked to her in seven, seven years or so. 
Nothing's really happening in the dream. It's just, we're just okay. It's just like she's there and it's like, it's cool. It's no sex, no nothing. It's just sort of like, hey, we're, it's, it, we're, everything's okay. Oh, God, it's heartbreaking. Heart, what is going on with me? You, you know, it's like adjusting to sort of really, you know, being alone is not great. It's not great at 51. And I'm not feeling sorry for myself, but, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm trying to enjoy my life, which I am. I'm busy. We're back in the writer's room. We're writing the third season of Marin. We've had a tough start at it because uh, readjusting to sitting in a room with six other dudes, compulsively snacking, <laughs> looking at each other, waiting for ideas to happen. But we're way ahead of the game. We've uh, we've cracked a lot of the stories. Uh, we're 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 doing some some pretty interesting stories. Some of them uh, obviously tethered to my life. Others uh, speculative. We like to call that speculative. You know what might happen? What could have happened? Uh, what would happen if I put myself in this t- situation? That's the weirdest thing about about creating Mare in the TV show is that, as you know, we don't have an ensemble cast and uh, we have recurring guest stars, but that means all stories run through me. I'm the guy on camera all the time because it's my show, but that's not an ego thing. That's not a decision thing. That's a budgetary thing. There's no real room for a second story or what about that guy? Well, that guy's only on one episode this season. or So it's uh, it, it's it's really kind of extremely personal and it and it all has to kind of run through my character and uh yeah getting back into the room was uh pretty daunting in a way you know because i i had a minor meltdown I, you know I'll, I'll be candid with you i was like haven't i told all my stories but obviously i haven't but the weird thing about it was that yeah, I'm looking back at the last year and about what's happened in my life you know and it's sort of like all right so i've had a couple of relationships go wrong uh, you know, I, I've I've uh, continued to to earn a living at what I want to do, uh, but what has really happened? And then I got into that mode of sort of like, what am I? What am I just spinning in the my wheels in the fucking mud emotionally? Am I just sort of like like it, is is the same thing happening over and over again? Have I closed my heart entirely to the possibility of love and connection? Stay tuned. But so what I chose to do is just you know suck it up. Man up, made myself some dinner. You mean I'm just gonna sit here and eat dinner by myself and watch a movie by myself? Yeah, but you you know, you got good movies, man. Criterion collection just sent you a bunch of movies for making a list for them. Why don't you why don't you watch one of those f- fancy movies? Yeah, that would cheer me up. Okay, this one looks good. Uh Fastbenders, uh uh Fear Eats the Soul. Yeah, it's uplifting. So I I watch a German movie. <laughs> I'm feeling a little uh, you know, melancholic. So I'm like, I'll throw on a German movie about racism and love, you know, not not connected to each other, but can love transcend racism and can you know, nationalistic racism ever be adjusted or erased? Can love survive? Can people accept each other? Not clear. Nonetheless, I learned uh, by watching that movie in the state that I was in that there's a very... There's a fine line in my mind between feeling sad and feeling German, but I don't know. That was the experience I had. I was in my car and this came to me and I you know, compulsively was like, oh, I got to write that down. But uh, and this is sort of heartbreaking too. Jesus Christ, Marin, don't talk to yourself in the third person. I wrote just on a post-it, I'd rather hurt myself than be hurt by you. There you there's a lyric. There's a little poetry. That's a little sad couplet. 
Is that a couplet even? Yeah, sure it is. Why not? Pow, I just shit my pants. Old school. Just coffee.coop. Available at WTF pod. Get the uh, WTF blend. I get a little, little kickback on the back end. Is that how you say that? We'll get a little something on the back end. That sounds sexual. Hmm. The back end. What's what's my back end? <laughs> yeah. Burp, burp, burp. Hey. All right. Camper Van Beethoven. Let's go back. Let's go back. Somerville, Massachusetts. Say 19... Boy, what would it have been? 1988-ish. I'm living in a house in Somerville before Somerville got cool, before it got gentrified, when it was just the kind of uh, old working class suburbs with a lot of smoking people. I, there's, I have very powerful memories. I was there when uh, Dunkin' Donuts introduced the big one. So I used to get that big one, regular. And I used to get jacked up on that. That's where that that Jones started, right there in Somerville, waking up. I was there living in a house where they built an entire bank building next door. It felt like an earthquake every morning when they were pounding foundations into the earth with a giant drop, like a crane that just dropped a giant concrete like disc onto the top of steel girders or pieces to pound them like a nail into the earth at seven in the morning back when I was still drinking. Yeah, not a great time. But in that house, in that house, there was Stan on the on the ground floor who had his own record label, Vanishing Point Records. He was also part of a band, but he was always down there packaging records, figuring out how to make his little record label work, figuring out how to make his band work. His band was the only band on the label, Vanishing Point Records. Then on the second floor, you had Kofi and Elaine. Kofi was, uh, I believe, from Africa. Elaine was uh, you know, approaching middle age. She was a lovely lady. They were together. Very uh, interesting relationship. Elaine was sort of the den mother of the place. And then uh, also on that, on that, in that hallway, there was a guy named Mark who was very quiet and uh, didn't didn't quite fit in. But he seemed like a, a good guy. I didn't get along with him. He was sort of more of a, a nerd professor type of Jew to my like chaotic peasant driven artistic Jew. Then further down the hall was uh, Scott. I'm not going to say his last name, but he was a dick. And then upstairs was me. And uh, who else was there? Oh, yeah. Sometimes Elaine's son, Jason, was there. And then his buddy moved in, Evan. Evan was sort of this um, this this uh, kind of groovy, uh, attractive looking dude. He was sort of groovy, man. He was very laid back. I had an appreciation for that guy. He seemed to have a, a sort of zen to him. I was like 25, 26 years old. These guys were significantly younger than me. I was living in an attic. It was blue. I was alone up there. And uh, Evan had all this music I'd never heard of. And one of them was Camper Van Beethoven. And I think I heard um, maybe, I don't know if it was Take the Skinheads Bowling or one of those early ones. And I was like, who the fuck is that? And he was like, Camper Van Beethoven, man. He talked like that, seriously. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta have everything those people have ever put out. And that was when I got into Camper Van Beethoven. Is there a better story from that time on Cottage Ave in Somerville? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. I found a cat. That was my first experience with a cat. And I was dating some girl named Amy. And there was a cat living in a tire hub, like a wheel of a car. This little kitten that was all dirty. It's a dirty little orange kitten. We didn't know what to do with it. So I took it back to the group house. And I was like, I got a cat. I'm going to call it Mojo. And I'm going to take care of it. I took it to the vet. I got all its shots. And I love that little kitten. And the thing was, and this is, I assume this happened. And this is why I'm not giving last names. 
with a guy who sat in his room that was just filled with records and books and he was reading about Hitler, this tall keyboard player that thought he was a fucking genius and worked at the record store. He was a pompous fucking nothing, this guy. A real douchebag, first class, affected motherfucker. And I couldn't stand him. There was just nothing better than when Scott got a cold sore on his mouth and just picked at it till it became this large, gaping, open wound that was hilarious. Fuck that guy. Why, why am I so angry about him? I'll tell you why. Because I think one time when I had my Betamax camera in the living room uh, and I was shooting some stuff and I left it in the living room, I believe Scott hocked it. Ooh, I said his last name. I believe Scott hocked it. Yeah, I believe he hocked it. And, here I, and then I got this kitten mojo and Scott, the fucking lunatic delusional bastard, didn't like cats. And I had the cat in my room. There's no lock on the door. And I think Scott let the cat out and then let the cat outside. And one time I come home and, you know, I'm like, where's my mojo? Where's my cat? And I'm worried about it. And then across the street, there was some construction going on. And I get a knock on the door and this big dude, you know, wearing a tool belt. He's like, this your cat? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you better be careful. You better keep an eye on it, man. It was just out on the street. You know, I could take it home. My wife would love this cat. And I'm like, no, it's my cat. It's like, I love cats too. I'm like, that's cool. You're kind of going against type. But that's my cat. And then like within a week or two, it was gone. I don't even know if Scott killed it or he just let it out. Man, I got some shit to resolve with that dude. I just hope things aren't going well for him. That's wrong. That's wrong. I hope he's come to grips with himself and realized who he is and his limitations and he's living a a healthy life. But he owes me an apology, I believe, for stealing my camera and letting my cat out, if not killing my cat. Yeah, I wouldn't put that past that guy. Speaking of cats, Monkey and LaFonda, Fountain, not working out. Just this weird thing that they can't understand that makes a noise while they're eating. But I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to turn it off and maybe they'll drink out of the thing when it's off and then surprise them and turn it on so they'll drink out of the running water. That's all I want to see for my investment of $78 or so in a ceramic calf fountain. I just want to see them um, drinking out of it like a water fountain. I want that to happen. I want it to happen for me. I want it to happen for, for everyone involved. Okay? All right. That's my hope. That's my dream. That's what's worrying me. That's what stands above all else. I'm writing a show. I'm performing a new hour of stand-up. But really what's pressing is whether or not my cats will drink from that fountain. Now you know how I feel about David Lowry. Now we're going to talk to David Lowry. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to him. I love this guy. I love his voice. I love to camper Van Beethoven. That does have some new records out. And uh, I also loved Cracker. I loved. I saw them together. Yeah, well, there was common members. But well, anyways, look, let's talk to David. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Lowry. 
You got cowboy boots. Yeah. I almost bought a pair. You can. You still feel okay about them? Yeah, because uh, they're really comfortable, man. I mean, you can't buy cheap ones. That's the only problem. My father-in-law got me a pair of these, and I started wearing them again. Yeah. I used to wear them like back in the nineties, right? 80s me too. All the yeah. Time. And my father-in-law is like, "Hey, you know, hey, I got this pair." Of, <laughs> What boots kind? for you, Lucchese. Oh, the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he had already broken them in? No, no, no. He bought them new for me. That's fucking great. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm on the cusp now. I mean, yeah. I, I was in Austin, and I'm like, do I, can I do that again? Well, you know what's funny is if you, you know, L.A. is, the, the, the great, the thing about L.A. is, you know, you have your coastal areas, yeah. you know, it's like a city state or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You go out to the Inland Empire where my family lives and stuff like that, there's plenty of people who wear these with just every day sure. that's what they wear it's cowboy know? country out it's, there it, it, yeah it's like ranchers and yeah people forget that that's what yeah. uh, the los angeles and california was built on yeah. was fucking big ranching and, and farming that yeah. was it <laughs> i know and then there was then these jews came out of nowhere and built the dream factory <laughs> yeah that's right the, 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 well yes <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> yes we're gonna make something that'll accept us we're gonna create a fiction <laughs> but uh I have been a huge Camper Van Beethoven fan for many years, uh, and I'm, it's very uh, much an honor to have you in here. Well, it's an honor to be on your show. I've followed your career. You um, have? All the twists and turns. Really? And the podcast kind of blew my mind when you, <laughs> how you just, you brought it back, man. You, I don't you, know, man. <laughs> we were at the edge of it, man. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah. I the guess, edge of uh, darkness? The edge of darkness, Yeah. But, so, well, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you, you have to reinvent yourself or you have to relentlessly continue to do what you do and then just hope that everything happens. just rolls back yeah. in, into alignment. <laughs> like the, the world aligns back to where you are, that's you a, know? That's true. It's, it's like one you, or the other. Yeah. So. If you can't, like, I'm not one of those people that, like, if I'm going to try something else, it's just going to be me doing that. Right. It's not, I can't reinvent, I'm not David Bowie, I'm not going to, you know, put a new outfit on, try right. to sell that shit. Right. I just, right. I can't be anything but me. <laughs> right. But I want to know some stuff because like, you know, I, I was sort of fascinated with the, with the whole uh, camper undertaking. It was always a mystery to me. I think I came at it sort of late. I met a dude in Boston. He, was a, he had dreadlocks, and mm -hmm. he gave me my first camper record, and I'd never heard it before, and this was 1989. Right. So I was like, wh where the fuck are these guys from? Where did that... Well, wh let's talk about <laughs> you. <laughs> like, it was a kind of music. I'd never heard anything like it before. Right. You guys were doing something that just didn't, uh, didn't sync up with anything that I quite understood, and I thought it was amazing. Well, I think that has a lot to do with um, the fact that we didn't really come from anywhere. My father was in the Air Force, so yeah. I lived... My mother's English, so I was like... She's English-English? English-English, Like British yeah. accent English? Yeah, well, she can go back and forth when she needs to. <laughs> so where'd you... <laughs> She's been in the United States for like... I don't know since the fifties, uh -huh. but you know she goes back and forth. What, did your dad meet her on tour of some kind? Or well, yeah, it was called the World War Two, but uh, <laughs> it was post World War Two actually. So, but he took yeah. a prisoner. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a. Well, I guess you could kind of say a war bride, exactly. But that's usually the other side. Uh, now, my father was in the Air Force, and he met her in uh, Britain, and uh, you know, in England, south of England, in nineteen. 53 and see the thing is is to people in her generation the you know the gangs you know how in like in, you go to england they're like wow gangster hip-hop or yeah. something like that yeah it's really cool right? right well to her generation you know hillbilly music was you know so here's this guy from arkansas you know that's where your dad's his, from yeah you know it's like 
he's in the Air Force. Yeah. He listens to country music, which right. is like the gangster hip hop to them of 1953. <laughs> right. You know, well, so, like Hank and and yeah, Hank Williams. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. My and you know. Then my mom, you know, is pretty good. Was a pretty good, or is not so much anymore, but is a pretty good record collector. And mm-hmm. like, man, I'm checking out. She has like these like 78s of Hank Williams EPs and stuff wow. like that. And I'm like, mom, this stuff belongs in a museum. Like, right. don- donate this stuff to the Library of Congress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. See, does she look- still have it? Yeah. It's amazing to see those old records. So okay, so you your dad's from Arkansas, but you know, weirdly. Some of that British, not so much English, but Irish music made its way into into country music. Yeah, early oh on. yeah, absolutely. That's, like a that's, lot of that pace. Yeah, and the, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, that was you know, country bluegrass. All of that is very, you know, a lot of that comes from the British Isles, yep. and then it mixes with the African like, yep. influence in the South. It's amazing. And that's how you get American music. And you grew up. You with, always have those two strains yep. through all of it. Yep. Did yeah. you grow up with the country music? Well, yeah, because my mom was English and my dad was from Arkansas. So, yeah, that's what we listened to a lot. But they listened to a lot of rock and roll. I mean, I, re- I remember we lived in, uh, we, you know, my father got transferred to all these places. You, the where Force. were you born? I was born in Texas. So you're Texan. Yeah, and Texan's kind of like being Jewish. Yeah. It's like, you know, even if you only live there for three years, they're like, you're, yeah, you're a Texan. You're, you're, you know, so we go and play and like... <laughs> One uh, of our own Austin. back. Yeah. Texan. Yeah. David Lowry. Texan-led camper van Beta, but it's like... <laughs> You know, well, you got like, the boots, you got the shirt. I got the boots, I got the shirt, yeah. So where'd you end up living? What what were the sort of primary influences? Uh, well, we lived in Spain, and then, you know, my, my father got sent to Korea. We were living in Spain. My mom becomes more or less fluent in Spanish. Do you? Uh, what? In you Spanish? Fl- yeah. Can no, you not really, but I can say the nouns of a lot of right, stuff. Right, 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 sure, yeah. sure. I usually, I've pretty much only been attracted to uh, the wor- Spanish the- girls or girls with yeah who have some Spanish blood in them for true? most of my life yes yeah. it's just that's imprints on your brain in the in some how old rare. were you when you lived there I thought I met a southern girl yeah right my, my current wife she, yeah. she's a concert promoter she uh-huh. runs the 40 watt right yeah I thought I met a southern girl and then I was like what kind of name is Valina you know it's like <laughs> oh it's Spanish her family came from Spain you know it's just like well, it's oh, I can't escape it. Well, so it's, it's better to be a, a, compelled towards a, an ethnic disposition than some sort of craziness. Well, I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my wife isn't crazy. Uh-huh. Good, um, good uh, diplomat. My wife, my wife is not crazy, but as I am prone to point out to her, look, we're a teasing family. We mm-hmm. say shit like this to each mm-hmm. other all the time. That's how we stay together. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I, I'm always telling her, it's like, okay, so normal girl is here and crazy girl is right here right it's just not very much it's not too much different yeah because she was asking me why do dudes date crazy women i go well it's you know really not that much different when you put it on a linear scale there yeah but know? there's also the argument as you get older family right? sure she can take it but, but there's also the argument that once you get cynical the the other side of that is like they're all crazy yeah yeah that's exactly that's, <laughs> but, that's sort of what i'm saying in a very diplomatic way okay and getting away with it okay, okay. So, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that's that's right, and that's that's that. So, so you, how long did you live in Spain? What were the formative? Five years, like a seven, six to eleven. Oh, that's something important. Like that. Yeah. So right when you're starting to sort of like go boobs, you know, yeah. <laughs> towards the end, just like, about. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, just <laughs> right. just right about there. Yes, exactly. So then, that that <laughs> yes, that's made the that's probably imprinted. That's probably what the imprint is in my <laughs> brain. You know, yeah, so, Spanish yeah. boobs. Yeah. So where's that song? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then, okay, so where you go after that? Uh, we went to Southern California. This was going to tell you is my father gets transferred to Korea. So my mom is sent, he knows his next assignments in Southern California, like out in the Inland Empire, right? right. You know, out by San Bernardino, Riverside. Right. Um, and uh, he knows his next assignments there. And uh, so my sense, my, you know, my mom basically comes out and finds a house for us. My mom just kind of bought a house in the barrio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the Inland Empire. So you're I mean, was, we were coming from Spain. So nice. I mean, like everybody spoke Spanish at home. She spoke Spanish. You know, so, so she's like, like, this must be what this is here. Yeah. 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 And, and so that's, we lived in Northside Redlands. And, and so it was a nice, slow transition for me from Sevilla, Spain to the Inland Empire. And, uh, you know. Did you do any conjunto tunes? Like, uh, did she do any of that polka? Well, yeah, do? we do this. We did do a lot of the Spanish. I mean, the, the last. The last, the, new the last album has, well, the one that we put out last year, um, La Costa Perdida, has like a straight up, um, you know, uh, I don't know what you got, you, it's ge generically Norteño, you those. know, polka, oh, Mexican polka, yeah. Mexican polka. With, that, with, so, uh, with the horns? No, not with the horns. It's just the more uh, the more country style stuff. Where yeah, you yeah, really yeah. should have an accordion. But on polka, it, but, but yeah, polka, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a two step. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I listen to these, but I, yeah. I don't have the song list in my yeah. head. I uh, all right. So then, how how do you end up in? Because where'd you meet the other guys? Well, we started actually in the Inland Empire. Chris Mola and Victor and I were from there, and Chris Peterson, the drummer, was from Escondido. Mm -hmm. Which is just really a fancy gussied up Inland Empire, really, ultimately. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, the three of us met there, but uh, we immediately went away to college at Santa Cruz. So and, that was it. Yeah. And then that also is a, you know, that was a weird place. It was sort of like the the, the, the hippies had left San Francisco and gone down to Santa Cruz and then this weird like sort of technology, math, science yeah, kind yeah. of weird thing going on there. Right. And, and you had these really eclectic kind of, you know, punk hippie hybrid bands and like surf bands yeah. and, you know, so and, that was also important. To and that was all coming, that's all in like the first record. All of yeah. those influences are there. Yeah, like the, the, the Norteño Mexican stuff, like the, and then, oh, and, and, you know, the other thing that we used to do is when we first started, we would play for all these punk bands. Like, I mean, we, we opened for people like the Dead Kennedys, and and Camber Van Beethoven was a side band to our punk bands, right? Yeah, I don't know. What was your first band? Uh, my first band, well, I guess the first band that actually ever played out anywhere was a band called Sitting Duck. Uh huh. And it was sort of it was it was you know some of the Camper songs come from there, but it was definitely more punk rock, right? right. Fun punk rock. Yeah, yeah. And then you we always seemed to have a pretty good spirit about things. Yeah, we had kind of you weren't funny angry. Songs. You know, yeah, yeah, we yeah, 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 largely not angry. So um, <laughs> not publicly. Yeah, and uh, yeah, only in the dressing room. Um, but uh, we we had that, and then uh, then I was in something called the Estonian Gauchos. Pretty much was Camper Van Beethoven, right? But we just changed the name to Camper Van Beethoven the next summer. Where'd that name come from? Camper Van Beethoven. Well, there's this guy. One of the founding members is this guy who uh, he is. He's really interesting guy. Um, Which guy? David uh, McDaniel. I mean, he really only plays in the first couple months of the band, but he had this really funny sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, he, well, no, like funny, like uh, like. I mean, I don't think anybody understood Andy Kaufman at the time. Right. But he totally did. He got right? it. Right. So he would do this stuff where he would make up these. Um, jokes yeah. that had all the rhyme and rhythm of a joke, 
but it never really made sense, right? It had right. all the pieces to it, <laughs> it and they weren't funny, yeah. but he would do these things, right? So that was kind of part of him naming the band is like, oh, this is going to sound like it means something, but it doesn't, yeah. you know? I yeah. mean, so now how does a guy only last in a band two months? What happened to that guy? Well, because we moved to Santa Cruz and we wanted him to come with us. But oh, from he, the Inland Empire. From the Inland Empire, but he was very religious uh-huh. and he felt like he had a calling to become a minister and he did that. He's still a minister. Really? Yeah. So he's not absurd anymore or no. maybe he's more absurd than he's ever been in his life. He's, I, I'm not really sure. That, he's pretty funny guy. To go from know? Andy Kaufman to ministry, it's, yeah. it's questionable, his intention. Yeah, I can, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good question, but he seems sincere to me. So, when, so on that first record, which was what, Landslide? What telephone, the, Landslide, Landslide, wait, Landslide, fr- Telephone Free, Landslide, landslide victory. victory, sorry. So who who was the lineup on that Okay, record? so that's the root, that's Anthony Gass, yeah. that's his real name, um, and uh, which is funny because people go, what's your last name, Kevin? And cause he went by Kevin, too, <laughs> yeah. for no apparent reason, he go, Gass. Um, so, um, th- th- so there was Anthony Gass, uh, Chris Mola, Victor Krumenacher, Jonathan Sagal and myself, David Lowry. Jonathan Sagal, the fiddle player. The fiddle player, who, when we moved to Santa Cruz, yeah. then Jonathan Sagal comes into the band, and this, you know, gets but very he, You met him down there. We didn't meet him. In, we met him in Santa Cruz. Right. Not until we went to Santa Cruz did we meet what him. What was he up to? Because, like, he, he's sort of defining in, in the yeah, sound. Absolutely defining. Yeah, that's the great moment is, because before that, we were like this kind of punk band, this this you side Vic- project to, yeah, Krumenacher, um, uh, Mola. Yeah. A- a- actually, you know, most Victor's of, the bass player. Victor's the bass player. And the guitar player's name is, that's Greg. There's, uh, there's also Greg Leischer, too. Right. Yes. But he's the guy with you now, still. Yes. He comes in on the second album. Yeah. He's it's good. It's just a bit, yeah. And it's just a big mixed up family. It's hard to follow all of this but but yeah i always wonder how that happens though like you you know because i never tried to talk anybody to stay in the band <laughs> that's how that happens but it almost <laughs> seemed like a fairly like a some sort of weird communal 60s model it, like it, 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 well it still kind of is i mean yeah. it's we more or less try to do stuff on consensus although every once in a while somebody's uh, will seize control like in a Thai coup d'etat or uh-huh. something like that yeah. and mix a song differently than <laughs> the way everybody else you know, you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so, more or less con- there's more or less a, it operates more or less on because it seems like at least in the first few records that everybody was represented that, right, that, yeah. that it's sort of like okay we'll do that thing we'll, mm-hmm. do, right, <laughs> we'll yeah. do your thing and then we'll do this thing and you know, I mean, it, it was our own record label, so we got we to do, do that. We did whatever we wanted to, right? <laughs> so, okay, so what was the what what was compelling about meeting Sagal? Well, Jonathan played guitar, but he was walking around with a violin. Mm-hmm. When we were at UC Santa Cruz, you know, go banana slugs. He was walking around with a violin, and so I walked up to him and I go, "Do you play that?" He goes, "Well, I'm learning to play." I was like, "Perfect," because <laughs> that was the point of the band. Was yeah. we were all in these other bands and we were all learning different instruments. Right. Like I was a bass player, but I was learning to sing and play guitar. You came up doing bass, yeah. And Victor, but he's a bass player, right? Well, that's I started. Victor was a student of mine, and I was he was my sister's friend. And you were I started, a bass teacher. Well informally it was mm-hmm. like my sister's friend wants to play bass so, okay i'll show you how to play bass right you know? so, so you knew him when you were a kid yeah yeah like what how what like what age oh he was probably 15 or 16 uh-huh 
That's a wild. Yeah. Yeah. So and right. I, I was in college, though, by then. So, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So Jonathan's like, yeah, I'm learning to play fiddle. Yeah. And we're like, Violin. perfect. Hey, and by the way, we have all these fake Eastern European songs. Uh, do you know how to play this kind of stuff? He goes, well, I am Jewish. So. Um, <laughs> Klezmer. Yeah. You know. Um, That's right. You do have those weird songs. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to I think I can say this because I've been told I'm mish, uh, I always say this wrong mishpuka oh mishpuka yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm told I can say yeah, yeah, yeah I you can are. say You're, this okay. sure I'll let you Oops, be mishpuka okay. you're mishpuka here yeah okay you mean like like what songs are those like Vladivostok Vladivostok and, yeah. and I mean it really was just us the sitting in the like inland, a gap yeah we were just sitting in the Inland Empire go what would uh, Eastern European what would Russian ska sound like and the reason we played the ska songs because we played with punk bands and they didn't like our hippie vibe in until we played the ska songs so we could get away with like three psychedelic songs until they were like about ready to kick our asses and then we we're like okay quick play a ska song you know and play these ska songs and they'd love us again you know <laughs> that's where that came from that's the uh, only reason it got uh, into the into the set appeasing skinheads appeasing keeping trying to keep our asses kicked for, i mean remember this is the inland empire sure. you know there's not like any irony there in right that, in that kind right. of like punk rock world right right, right. Is yeah. that where the, the but you did the, take the skinheads bowling was like I I would say arguably the first hit yeah it was definitely the and first that, hit but that wasn't on it's that still record. the hit that yeah. wasn't on that record oh no it is on the first record telephone freelance like it History. is yes it is okay yes. all right so that was your sort of iron ironic you know uh, shot over the across the bow that's right for the people that bullied you. <laughs> right exactly exactly <laughs> except the, music except the whole point of that song was it wasn't really supposed to mean anything right right, right. it wasn't like each line was supposed to like then the line following was supposed to disrupt any meaning that had come from the line previous and because everybody was so serious yeah you know it's 1983 everybody was really serious we were all gonna like you know we were oppressed man yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we were gonna overthrow the man you know i mean we, everything was so serious you there wasn't an idea that you were gonna overthrow the man well not by the time we were in camper van beethoven i don't think was we it the mid-80s yeah it was, was 83 84 85 before we ever actually put it that's the formative period and then we put out an album in 85 so, but that yeah. was like that but psychedelic at that time was, was coming back it was for that first wave well bare like right about the time yeah you start having green on red and dream uh, syndicate and right. rain parade but and, you guys went way out there i mean you're doing like yeah. old pink floyd covers and like some of this yeah. stuff is just chaos yeah total chaos well what can you just tell me there's a couple things like i have weird favorite camper songs okay like um uh well i like the 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 day that lassie went to the moon a lot and i like um it's not on this album. It's not on the first album. I like um, uh, Interstellar Overdrive, but I also like uh, uh, Surprise Truck. Uh huh. And going into uh, We Saw Jerry's Daughter. What uh -huh. is that about? We Saw Jerry's Daughter? Yeah. We Saw Jerry's Daughter is about us literally seeing Jerry Garcia's daughter I knew it. at just sort of walk somebody goes hey that's jerry garcia we were i think we were in i think we were in eugene oregon and she was walking down the street somebody's elbowing us and saying hey that's jerry garcia's daughter <laughs> <laughs> it was somewhere I, in oregon so that had to be what it was yeah about. so i mean that's camper van beethoven we just look you just we just would write a song about that kind of stuff you know what, and like sort of have it done by lunch and recorded by you know dinner you well know? you you did a uh you did a Garcia cover on the what the second first Cracker album or the, the sec second Cracker, which album. is one of my favorite songs. Yeah, Loser. Yeah, right. what, what Hunter um, 
Garcia's track. At, well, yeah. But yeah. So, yeah. What, what impact did they have on you early on? I mean, were they important? God, you know. Because no one likes to talk about that. Oh, well, yeah. Well, here's <laughs> the like thing. This is some guilty pleasure for yeah. rock guys. Well, the dead are fucking great. Yeah, and we got to play with the dead, too. You did? Is, yeah, yeah. It was pretty awesome. So, um, well, the thing was, is probably in 83, if you asked me if the dead were cool, I probably would think about my sister yeah. like, listening to some dead with some logins and Messina and some other stuff. And I probably lumped it all together. Right. You know what I mean? But but by about 87 or 88, like I was really getting it. And Jonathan Sagal had always been a deadhead and right. kind of turned me on to some good things and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember the moment that I... I heard the song "The Loser" because that's not a dead. That's not a da- on a dead album. Right. It's only on a Garcia album, like the first Garcia album. I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and or it's on a live tape. And yeah. I remember that my roommate had come home and he was totally drunk, and he thought I was out of town. And he comes home and puts on the stereo, and starts blasting this Garcia song, right? right? The Loser, and I kind of finally come stumbling into the bedroom. He goes, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I woke you up." I was like, "No, who the fuck is this, man? Yeah. This is great, yeah. you know." And that was the moment being. Woke up at three in the morning, heard a, uh, a you know, well, Gar- Garcia song, but a Grateful Dead song. That yeah. was the mo- moment that I got converted, you know, to the dead. You know, it's like, wait a minute, I totally understand this now. You know what I mean? So, well, I mean, like those studio records, the first few studio records are at least like uh, Workman's Dead and American Beauty and uh, Terrapin and stuff. I mean, it's real shit. It's not. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they put a lot of time in. They, yeah, and they, and they, and they were a- well, and they and they just who was doing stuff like that then and they were the ultimate diy band what's yeah. the other thing is because you know sort of structurally camper van beethoven really related to the dead it's like hey they just kind of did it themselves right they, they, they built this community around them i mean you know we used to have this little camper van beethoven newsletter snail mail and stuff like that you know we in a lot of ways were you know we were had our own label you know, structurally, we were very similar, you know. Right, and what? To explain, Although much, much, much less popular. Right, <laughs> but did you guys? Wait, you had to sort of. What, what would you call your success? You know, the first four albums. I mean, yeah, because like I got to you somehow. And well, we, was, and we toured the world. I mean, we had a top five album on college radio, and we right. probably. I think that first. I think take the skinheads bowling did crack the top forty in England, but. You know, I mean, right. it's some kind of success. I What's mean, the song about uh, LBJ pissing along the side of uh, LBJ's Cadillac? Oh, uh, 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 Joe Stalin's Cadillac. I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and be that guy. Um, that was a great di- song, Dictators man. of all kinds, yeah. you know, sort of uh, left and right. and But that sort of shows your politics. Sort of, and, yeah, we were sort of anarchists, yeah. sort of, you know. It's but, like, but when you were started out, the punk scene, were, were you in that world where, you know, you would sort of go do gigs at the behavior? Hest of fans who would set you like I've talked to guys who started in punk and you know a lot of times when when punk rock you know popular punk rock bands they just hire locals to open for them were you right. sort of that guy in Santa yeah Cruz? well 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 a little broader than that you know we had some we had a fan uh, one of the guys who was one of the I guess you'd call him an executive he was one of the executives at SST records right and, uh, a, he was the promotion and publicity guy was a big fan of ours yeah and uh or a real believer in us and he would hook us up with gigs every once in a while i knew the meat puppets yeah not through that world but just incidentally because i went to college with somebody they went to high school with right right and that song history of utah is sort of about the mormon desiree empire or whatever like that but it's also about the 
the two meat puppet brothers. Kirkwood. Yeah, Kurt and Chris. It's sort of about them because I knew this guy, Chris, and he was friends with them, and I went to visit them and his family in in phoenix one time we hung out with the kirkwoods and they were just they were off the hook man yeah. i mean it's just uh the they were out there man <laughs> you know so we got shows with the meat drop some shrooms and go out to the desert um yeah i think we were doing a little more it was a little more like vandalism that we were doing <laughs> i think we were more drunk and stoned and <laughs> And uh, committing some vandalism, which I'm not sure what the statute of no, limitations are probably <laughs> over with by now. But uh. but they but I guess that that makes sense because uh, you know the the meat puppets sort of come from uh, um, the butthole surfers uh, idea of like because he talked to Kirkwood and he's not, he's not willing to sort of classify the type of music they yeah, do. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I, I think Camper does that as well. Yeah, you're hard to classify. Which in the music business, it's like well we can't count on you to repeat yourself. So I don't know if we can get behind this. Right, exactly. It's it's a difficult <laughs> thing that yeah. Well, except that, you know, we we did eventually sign to Virgin, which was a major label, and they do did have a history of signing these kind of screwball acts all the time. But you guys, but those records are our beloved Revolutionary Sweetheart and, uh, and Key, Key Lime, Lime Pie. Pie. Mm-hmm. Those are still camper records. Oh yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Not, it's, yeah, it's not like you said like we got to reel it in. Yeah, we got to. We, we need to put some big drums on this. So yeah, we'll, right. Yeah, you know uh, what's the ones? Let's just do take and, the skin and bowling over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in different yeah, forms. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's get a dance floor hit of this. You, you, you didn't know? buckle to that, and I just realized that 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 record, not those records, but the Camper Van Beethoven self titled record, is like your fourth record. Yes, that one is. Yeah, that's that's actually the third. But yeah. yes, yeah, we wanted to confuse people, so we just put out the self title. <laughs> actually, we were following Led Zeppelin. Uh huh. So there, isn't there fourth record the uh, self titled record? Oh, was that the big one? That's the one that everybody calls Zoso. Zoso. Actually, the third Camper record actually does have a title. But we didn't tell anybody what it was. Right. It was just, what, it was two <laughs> it's and written three? In, it, no, there's two and three is before that. Written in the, remember vinyl, you could write things in the groove, the inner groove of the record? Yeah. Scratched in the inner groove of the record is Soviet spies swim upstream disguised as trout. Uh-huh. Okay, that's actually the title of that album. But now i got to go look at my copy. You know, we're going to go in after this, and okay. we're gonna, you're going to show that to me. Okay, yes. Yeah, because so, I think I have an original okay, pressing of that. Soviet spies swim upstream disguised as trout right and that was simply because we used to get crazy fan letters and somebody wrote us a letter saying we dreamed your next album was called soviet spies or i dreamed your next record maybe they did say we which is yeah. even crazy right? yeah. yeah i dreamed your next album is called was called soviet spies swim upstream disguised as trout yeah so we go well that's that's the, that is it. actually the title <laughs> of the new album so and that was a big record for, for camper fans. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, good guys and bad guys on that. We started to get on MTV a little bit. That's a great record, man. Yeah. How'd that sell? Um, well, you know, in those days, I think like if you sold, like you were an indie band and you sold like 25, 30,000 copies of a record, that was pretty good. Nowadays, you know, that almost puts you in the top 20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you guys <laughs> sold that many records. Yeah. Twenty five or thirty thousand on our own label too, you know. And so, what was the name of that label? 
Uh, it was called Pitch a Tent Records. And what? Which is the one that you play backwards stuff? Is that Five Sticks? Oh uh, yeah, that's a Five. The Five Sticks is where we play along to another song backwards. We did that a lot throughout our career. We did that pretty much on <laughs> every album. How does that work? Was it a Zeppelin song or something, or was it your song? Did you do? Uh, no, the first album. I remember um, Jonathan, Victor, and I decided to listen to it backwards. <laughs> Your first album. <laughs> and we were going, wow, there's some good songs on this backwards. <laughs> I mean, we really, we were the real deal. I mean, we really did take like mushrooms and smoke pot. I mean, we really did all that crazy. And, you know, I don't do any of that stuff, you know. Yeah. Anymore? Um, anymore. For, and for quite a long time, actually. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. So, yeah. Me too. Uh, yeah. 15 years. Yeah. So. Nothing. Did you uh, hit Nine years for me. Yeah. I hit, I, yeah, I have my, uh, So you're sober. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's a, That's so, why I asked if we knew some of the same people. So, oh, uh, yeah. The, well, then anyway, we know all the same people. people. Yes, we do know all the same people. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all the same ilk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, what did your, what did your, what, what album were you on when that fucking came crashing down? Uh, Greenland by uh, Cracker. Oh, really? I was writing that album. That's what a lot of, that's why that album starts with the song that it starts with, so. I'm trying to think that it's called something you ain't got it's a cover song uh -huh. but I'd been like sober by for about maybe three weeks or something out like of your that. mind and yeah and uh I was like yeah and on tour with widespread panic how does that work <laughs> and uh you did it though that's one of those great yeah. if you that's the first obstacle you get past sober Woo. you're like <laughs> yeah I can do this yeah I can do it yeah, I remember we were in the Gorge in Walla Walla, Washington, or now near what? Where is that place? That the place gorge. where they have the where they have the, the festival? Sasquatch, Sasquatch. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. And there's a little town next to it. Yeah. And I remember we were in the hotel the night before, and I go, God, I better go find a meeting somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's like, so I found it, and I went over there and to a meeting. I was just sitting there, and so one of the guys came over. He goes, uh, he says, uh, so, so what are you doing in town? You're not from here. I go, uh, I'm playing widespread panic up at the gorge, and. He goes, why don't I come along with you for the next couple days? <laughs> I, love I love that story. Did he? Yes. That's amazing. I don't remember the guy's that, name or anything. It doesn't but it's matter. Not, yeah, it was those, pretty awesome. Those kind of things always choke me up. You know, you, yeah. when, once you've been in the racket long enough, you yeah. know, like you, you, there's a narrative to things where yeah, you know, yeah. when, when, when someone actually helps somebody out is very touching. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was great about it was... You know, the guy was really of modest means, just uh -huh. judging by his car. And he like didn't know who you stuff. were. He, not not really, yeah. not until we went up there, yeah. you know. It's just, Did he have a good time? Yeah, I had a great time. <laughs> that, and that was a cracker. That was a, <laughs> that was, a later well, version Well, that was actually crack. both Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker played those shows together. I'm pretty sure both played those shows together. It was Camper Van Beethoven had just become reformed. The Camper Cracker Tour. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, so we Plaza. did some shows. Yeah, and we, so we did some shows with uh, Widespread Panic. But anyway, the first song on Greenland is yeah. somewhere in that week. There, somebody played me a song by this band called American Minor, a demo of theirs. And yeah, I heard this song. I was like, whoa! Spoke to like, you. Yeah, like a, yeah, like a fucking kick in the right. balls, right? And sort of and. Uh, you know, I don't know, and something really exhilarating at the same time. And you had a cover. Yeah, yeah. You've done a few it. covers yeah. over the time. Yeah. You don't mind doing covers? No, no, I don't, man. Well, those two records you did with Virgin were great records. Mm -hmm. I loved them, and you brought a lot more to the production of those records. Mm -hmm. And that song, uh, Jack Ruby, I love that song. That was I, it, you just made two big camper records, and right. then and then and Pictures of Matchstick Men. That that was a great cover. Yeah. Why'd you decide on that one? 
Well, this is when the, so I was just trying to explain this to, to somebody the other day. Is this is when the music business was good. Okay, this is when, and I don't mean like money wise. I yeah. just mean like it was operated more in a fly by the seat of the pants kind of way. We put pictures of Magic Man on that album because we had played that song apparently at some theater in downtown LA and our the vice president of promotion for Virgin Records the first time he had ever seen us yeah he took mushrooms and he came to see us and that was the first song we played so for three years on yeah. Virgin Records he's like you've got to record pictures of mastic men <laughs> i was so high when you did that song right i mean like yeah, that's yeah, the, yeah, right that's the old music business like there's those focus groups there's no like you know there's big a, time producers being brought in and stuff like that it's like i don't know and you didn't mind doing the cover you love the song obviously well it was a little controversial within the band to do a cover on that album because that album was so specific in what way but, was it specific uh, it was just a little darker and a little more introspective and stuff like that we actually recorded that song for our beloved revolutionary sweetheart mm -hmm. left it off ended up redoing it to make it fit uh sonically in with key lime pie so it could be on key lime pie but it was a little that was a little controversial you know it was just like it was just one of those things where we had the album minus uh pictures of matchstick man it is a dark record i'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking and, at it now and you know just sort of when it got when it got to the point where sort of like our manager who was by no means a traditional rock manager i mean he was he grew up with us and he was a hippie dude from oregon you know it's just like no by no means a traditional rock manager not in any way trying to make us sell out right said i think you need just kind of one happy song on this record <laughs> <laughs> you know that's when i knew it's like okay all right because you know the record vice president of promotion had just been bugging us for to do that for years so all right let's let's just we'll have one song that's not sort of introspective and down tempo on the album we put it on there thank god we did because nothing else got on the radio that was the only thing that got on the radio so was that your but did you always think in those terms i mean i have to assume that being no a but but if you know you didn't think about being on the radio right but it certainly helped. <laughs> yeah. Once you did get, I mean, it, 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 you know, you're just playing for more people, you know, and, and being on the radio for Camper Van Beethoven in those days, that meant, you know, you're talking about 30 commercial stations in the country. You're not talking about everywhere. You're talking about uh, a K rock. That was it for you alternative rock or modern rock. There's 30 stations, you know, and plus, you know, MTV could be pretty good too. So went back in the day. Yeah. What um, now? But that was it for a while for Camper. I mean, yes, we broke up. We were in uh, Sweden, and uh, Jonathan had we'd gone our we'd mutually sort of. Uh, well, no, we not really mutually, but the four the the four of us in kind of four of us ganged up on Jonathan, and we decided that we couldn't really work with him on that Key Lime Pie record, and we booted him out. Yeah, um, we it was a tough decision um years later um he's back in the band and um I, I do have to say this i mean and he might understand this there was no way we could have made key lime pie with jonathan at that time why because he just uh, he, 
he wasn't in a good place to do that album. Really? We we he wasn't going to play less. He wasn't going to play. I don't know. I I don't really remember what the the arguments were. But when he we didn't did, want to. Uh, he didn't want to rein it in. He can't. Well, but it wasn't really like we were reining it in. We were just sort of leaving all this space in the album. Yeah. He didn't want to leave the space in the album fundamentally there was also the problem that you know the record company clearly favored the songs that i was you know sort of being the instigator on you know when you write things collectively there's always somebody though who's the real kind of tends to be the instigator of the song or or and you know and that sort of starts to become apparent to everybody is like well the record company likes his songs and you know i i don't know so they they create band dynamics that may lead to bad places yes whereas if we were still on our own label i'm not sure that we wouldn't have also broken up but there wouldn't have been like you know there starts being an outside sort of influence sure you know but you wrote most of the lyrics I write most of the lyrics that I sing. Yes. Why? Why did you? Uh, I just I forgot that you covered "Oh Death," which is a, yeah. a traditional. Yeah. What was that about? Um, I we, like the cover. We, there's a band that is very much our predecessor from the Inland Empire, oddly called Kaleidoscope. David Lindley came from that band. He's trippy. Yeah, and uh, nobody really knew who this band was except for you know a few old hippies mm-hmm. and um, this guy that worked at SST Records who was a big, you know, supported us. Yeah. And he said, so, man, you guys must be really influenced by Kaleidoscope. And we're like, who's that? He goes, you don't know Kaleidoscope? I mean, they're from your home t- yeah. home area. Right. How do you not know Kaleidoscope, right? So he went to his record collection, made us like three cassettes worth of kaleidoscope tapes and uh-huh. uh and we went and listened to it and we go holy shit this is kind of what we do <laughs> and one of the things is, is they do they cover that song oh death mm-hmm. and we thought oh well we've got to do oh death now that is just dark as shit you know yeah. like and it fits kind of with what we're doing let's do that and you just saw yourself that you know after you listened to it that you know whatever happened in terms of what was defining your sound at that time was what came about in earnest but you you realized that when you listened to kaleidoscope that there was a precedent for mm-hmm. for you know where you were going and, it, and there's no shame in that right it mm-hmm. was just a mixture of like i don't know i mean they they were doing this in 67 66 now i gotta go now i gotta go listen something. to them yeah. And and obviously you guys were doing you never got into that pigeonhole where it's sort of like, well, this is the camper sound. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is the camper system. This is the camper Well, there is a little bit of a camper system. It's um uh mentioned and it's in the lyrics. It's mm-hmm. mentioned psychedelic drugs, yeah. some kind of oddball conspiracy theory and UFOs. Yeah. Pretty much. That's, the, that's but it. anyway, but yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't like there was not uh, uh this massive hit record that you had to fucking chase for your life. No. Yeah. No. All right. So you guys break up, and it doesn't sound like it was a good breakup. Well, you know, we. I think there was a writer for the New York Press who had the description of Camper Van Beethoven's that breakup that I always use because it is the most apt. Yeah. And it wasn't. He says something like basically that we didn't explode in this fireball like right. most bands that we just sort of disintegrated like a urinal cake. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> Which, you know, kind of, uh, like John, we sort of like, we can't do this album with you, Jonathan. You know, yeah. get out. And, you know, and then there was also the side band within Camp. And I guess Bay mainstream Cover, success is, was the stream of urine that was coming, that dissolving you. Yes. The, 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 the main <laughs> Lack street, of mainstream the, success. Yeah, yes. The, or the, the pressures that those bring on you and stuff like that is the urine that's coming down. Mm. There's the Monks of Doom, which is, you know, the side band within Camper Bay, Van Beethoven, which tips it hat really heavily towards prog rock, you know, which was not really that cool at that time, but it was kind of underground. And but, stuff. but you weren't, were you in that? No, I wasn't I, in that. It was you hard know, for so me that's to... another piece. So they, that sort of was happening at the same time camper was happening and you know jonathan did his solo albums and jonathan goes off then we bring in david immergluck who had sort of played with monks of doom he ends up you know uh we bring him in anyway eventually the band you know the monks of doom guys leave camper van beethoven which leaves me with immergluck and morgan victor who are essentially new to the band right and i mean i'm just like i'm i can't we can't call this camper van beethoven you can't you can't do that right you know what i mean yeah like the record company were like you should just put another band together you should do this blah blah blah. you know just sort of gently pushing us back not like any bad vibe high right, pressure right, right. things but just like you know gently telling all you should put together a new camper van beethoven you know but cracker didn't turn out to be that at all no I mean, uh, like, yeah, to me, it was, yeah, right, exactly. It was interesting, because, like, I couldn't wrap my brain around Monks of Doom. I tried. I just, mm -hmm. It's just not my thing. And and Cracker, the first Cracker album, I was like, holy fuck, because it seemed to me that you had the freedom to do more, you know, uh, sort of traditionally structured pop songs, in a way, mm -hmm. right? Right. And, you know, and it, it was rock. It was pretty right. straight up. Your right. voice is, you know, uh, you know, unique to the point where, you know, it's, it's you know, you can't, you can't deny it. I mean, everyone knows your voice. Right. <laughs> it's great and and you were doing like you know pretty tight just rock songs yeah just straight up kind of yeah three four chord rock songs you know and with my two buddies from the inland empire right? well i knew you know? davy i saw you at uh i saw you at slims in uh -huh. san francisco when i lived in slims i probably touring on that first album you lived in slims no close <laughs> close by, Lip, by I, didn't, okay. I didn't go there often but i was right, a fan yeah. of that first yeah. record and then years later i met davy Oh, he okay. plays with Elvis Costello now. Yeah. But I remember when he was playing with you, he was wearing a kilt, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think it actually was a Catholic schoolgirl's uh, <laughs> uniform, actually. Well, yes, you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. Actually, I remember when Davey got that Catholic schoolgirl's uniform. We were in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we were playing a place called the Art Bar, and across the street was a Catholic school supply place. And That's he goes, <laughs> and he says, I'm going to go over and get a Catholic schoolgirl's uniform. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm going to go watch this. <laughs> <laughs> we go in there. It's you know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I mean, it's. I don't think we're in the Bible Belt. Maybe yeah. we're in the well, you're in, crotchless you're, panties of yeah. the Bible. The conflicted the Bible. Bible Belt. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, and uh, he asked for a Catholic schoolgirl's uniform, and the woman says what size is your daughter and he goes oh it's not for my daughter it's for me and she goes oh okay and she walks up to the door locks it turns the sign around like it's an everyday occurrence <laughs> what do you mean she why'd she lock you in she was going to outfit him in a in a catholic school girl but she uniform. didn't want anyone else coming in yeah she didn't want anybody else coming in but she was perfectly fine with it like it happens all the time this is what i do this, this is protocol. the sign around yeah. lock the door this happens have this to happens wait. it's the south <laughs> <laughs> it's but louisiana was that the tour of that first album though or what yeah that was the first well that was actually even before the first album i think we did two weeks on the road 
we just went down Highway 10 and uh, to Jacksonville. But so there you are. You do this. You do this band after Camper. That that's really your own thing, and that's right. the thing that pops. Yeah, oddly, just yeah. the right place at the right. Well, not even really the right place at the right time because it's really rootsy. It's just that. And and you know, I mean, you got to remember that was that that album comes out like four months after Nirvana's album or something like right. that, right? You know, yeah, it's the height of grunge. And there's country songs on that record. Oh, there I know, are like Rolling Stone, yeah. style, right? Blues rock yep. songs on that album. But we have enough tracks that fit with the modern rock format. It just pops, you know. Teen angst know. pops. Yeah, teen angst. Yeah. yeah. What and that the was world a, needs now. Yeah. yeah. And that was a that was a, a fun, great song. Had some heart to it. Yeah. Had good fucking build. Right. Yeah. And that and, three chords. And you charted in the opposite arm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we. Um, I don't think it went. I don't think that album went gold at first. It might be gold now. So you had um, you had a good run with Cracker. Kerosene Hat was great. I mean, I didn't realize you put out mm-hmm. as many records as you did. Mm-hmm. But um, at Green, yeah, we're actually still making. Uh, we're actually making an album right now. Actually. And and how do they sell? I mean, how how is your following held up? Um, well, I mean, you know, considering we started twenty years ago, I think we're doing pretty good. I mean, we still play. I always joke that we're been playing the same places for twenty five years. I mean, we're playing like the we're not playing Slims, but we're playing the Independent. But you see, but now you're seeing people our age with kids. Yeah, that right. We try to play a lot of stuff that's like outdoors and in the day is what we do, you right? Know? Because we get a lot more people than if we go and play in a a nightclub. But I have to imagine that, that given the nature of camper and given the nature of uh, of cracker as well, that you know your loyal fans are are pretty decent people, and they probably have kids now, and they're probably they come out yeah. and they're, they're our age. I yeah, mean, exactly. It's it's interesting, well, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. Although the you know. Crackers definitely had this little sort of revival over the last couple of years because of the film placements, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Perks of a Wallflower were pretty featured in Perks of a Wallflower were pretty featured Which in songs? that. A low is yeah. in that. That's mostly not- low is suddenly just anytime somebody wants to set the scene in in 1993, <laughs> bang, <laughs> you know. But it, you know, it really has brought. Uh, you know, it's brought young people into our world. So, you know, I did this USO tour of Iraq where we did patrol bases. And Cracker we, did. Cracker did, yeah, in 2009, which is a pretty crazy thing we did. It was Memorial Day. Might as well talk about it for yeah. a second. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we imagined was, uh, you know, you sort of imagine you could be playing for, like, these 21-year-old, like, young gun because we're playing patrol bases. I mean, yeah. We're playing in freaking Kevlar, right? Yeah. Uh, we're... Um, you know, just meeting these 21-year-old sort of like, you know, gung-ho infantry sort of kids of the grunts, you know, yeah. and, the, and the Marines and stuff like that, right? And everything. And so we were playing for them. You know, maybe we ought to play, you know, make sure we play pretty heavy on the rock and the fast stuff and right. everything like that. So we step out at the first base, right? Yeah. And this one looks the part and everything. Kid walks right up to me. He's like, are you guys Cracker? I'm like, yeah, we're Cracker. He goes, so awesome, man. Will you sign this for my parents? <laughs> My parents are going to be so excited when they find out that they saw you in Iraq, that you came to my patrol, came to my base. <laughs> was that a big This moment? happened. That was the first thing that happened to us. Like, yeah. the yeah. first interaction. That happened over and over again. And so we're like, so finally we're like, well, you know, this is actually cool. We're, we're going over there and we're making the parents feel better. 
which is patriotic, just as patriotic, and supporting the troops just as well. Right. You've got to support the parents back right. home, you know? Right. It happened over and over again. That's, in- that's it was in- actually also, though, pretty awesome, though, because, like, the higher-ranking guys were our age. Yeah. And so we'd always get these cool things, like, do you want to go and eat with the uh, three-star general, you know, or, like, go sit at his table. Like, yeah, sure, we'll go over there. Yeah, yeah, you know, this- but did you feel at, at all, like, uh, that your personal politics were were well, contrary yeah i mean i was against the war um, yeah i remember actually we we're driving in this armored personnel carrier between these patrol bases with the same it was weird we had the same 16 guys with us from the 82nd airborne and um these guys were with us the whole time and at some point you know we're talking there was there was way more of a frank conversation about what had happened in iraq in Iraq from USGIs than there were from Americans. Right. Okay? First of all, that was just the amazing mind they knew blowing what was thing. Up. Yeah, just yeah. It was, and you know. So at some point, I we're all on these headsets. We're talking on the comms between in the little caravan that we're in, and I go, well, you know, most of the guys in the, you know, in the band and everything here, we, you know, we were against the war. And just one of the guy goes, no shit, you're musicians, man. <laughs> It's your job. It's no shit. (laughs) It was never really an issue. And, you know, at that point, it was kind of the surge had happened. You know, it it was like, you know, Colin Powell said, you know, if you break it, you pay for it. You know? So, I mean, what were we supposed to do? Pull out and let the whole... No, I get it. You know, if we were there, if we were there, going to be there at any point, it was sort of when, you know, we were trying to undo what we had Right. Done. In, well, you in grew some up in, ways, but, and I grew up in a military family, right. and so none of this is political in the same way it is to a lot of other people who have right? this, who don't who can't make the distinction between the realities of being an enlisted person, right? Exactly, and, and your job, right? And and the politics of the war, exactly, right? It, but having grown up with that, your dad was a career guy, wasn't? Yeah, he? Yeah, he was a career guy, but he was an enlisted man too. So yeah. you know, he didn't make any decisions about right. Right. What were he doing? Or was he in the Air Force the whole way through? He was in the Air Force the whole way through, and and uh, he was pretty sick by the time I went to. Uh, he's passed away now. He was pretty sick by the time I went to Iraq. Um, but you know, and you know, and you know, this is an interesting thing. It's just my guy. Here's my dad, and we're watching some news on the television during you know the invasion of Iraq, and they sort of have invaded. Yeah, we've stay invaded, taken over the country, and then. Bremer or whatever announces that they're firing, you know, the they're disbanding the entire army and police and everything yeah. like that. Right. And my dad just stands up, but he's like, "What on earth are you doing?" <laughs> like, I mean, right? My dad stands up and says that. And you're but like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. he's completely freaking out. It's like this is this, you can't do that. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah. You know, wow. this is coming from a sure and sure enough. Yeah. I mean, it was a what, what happened? It was a disaster. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting with my dad the moment that happened. Was your dad proud of what you did? Did you guys? Did you guys have a standoff around? You know, over like, the war. My dad was know. against the war. No, but I mean, just as being the the kid of a of a of a military guy, was there no. a period? There? No. Actually, it was actually was awesome because he was like, you know, for the he was like. You know, he was always, he was totally supportive of it. Whereas like some of the other guys that I would be in bands with or I knew in bands, their parents were very, 
you know, very, very middle class or upper middle class. Yeah. They were more concerned about it than my dad. My dad was always like, you, you can join the Air Force when you're 30. So if it doesn't work out, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got a math degree. That's got to be handy somewhere. You do you have know? a math degree? Yeah, I have a degree in math and it's math and kind of did math and computers and stuff. He's right. You know, it is actually kind of handy. You have a math degree. Yeah. Actually, I actually, I'm getting a doctorate right now, but not in math. I'm getting doctorate in something else. What? I'm getting a do- sort of a meta doctorate in higher in sort of the theory of higher education. So, how does that work? What? How does that come about? Because I've been teaching like music business courses at a university, and basically, I sort of look at universities and go, "This is kind of a really expensive and screwed up way to educate people." Yeah. In some ways, for some people, yeah. And, and your, we should do something different. So, well, well, I know you're sort of, uh, you know, up in arms about how the music industry works and 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 copyrights and and you know publishing rights. I mean, uh-huh, yeah. you seem to be pretty pissed off. Um, I don't know if I'm pissed off as I like. Somebody's got to be the wrecking ball right now. Somebody's got to come out and say, "Hey, you know, in the old days." When a record label, okay, this is a great story, man. My, my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, my father and you know the stories about the old bluesmen, you sure. know, or the early rock and roll guys, they would go down to the record company and go, hey, my song's on the radio, where's my royalty and yeah. stuff like that. And they'd go and buy him a Cadillac, which right. was worth much less than right. the, the actual royalties, right? right? So my mother-in-law worked for Sun Records and my father-in-law was a car dealer. How the fuck do you think they met? Yeah. I mean, that shit really happened, yeah. right? You know? Yeah. They re- that shit really happened. So to me, like, I've always been, you know, pretty pro-technology, having coming from the math computer worlds. It's a long story. I remember yeah. building our first website in, like, 93 or whatever like that. It's like, I'm going to learn HTML. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and but I guys got to the point where I just started going, well, you know what? You know, we wouldn't have put up with the old the bad old record labels paying us shit so we wouldn't put up with we shouldn't put up with this stuff and which is you know, what is this stuff well just you know ripping off the, songs well no just like mostly has to do with the rate the, my my real specific thing has to do with the rate that songwriters songwriters specifically are paid by these digital services and in, mm-hmm. in the in the old days the performer in the old days mm. back in my day no but, but but really seriously like on a on a you know on a download on an actual sale like mm. the songwriter and the performer kind of end up with about the same amount it kind of depends on the format and the label deal right. and all that stuff right mm. but you go into the digital realm and it was you get 14 to the performer gets a well the recording gets about 14 to 1 what the songwriter does the songwriter gets a lot less in the digital world right huh. and that and wasn't that, the way it was the opposite back it, in the old days if you had the publishing you yeah. had you you had it forever well you well, had yeah. the money coming in forever well yeah in a, in a lot of ways and the reason this was done is because i believe there was a backroom deal cut between I have no proof of this. This is yeah. just me putting on a tinfoil hat. I have sure. no proof of this. I but, like tinfoil hats. Okay, I'm going to put on a tinfoil hat for yeah. a second. I believe there was a backroom deal cut between the rec- record industry and the you know the beginnings of what became the webcasting and streaming industry yeah. is that one of the big expenses for record labels is having to pay the songwriter separately, right. right? Even if you're a performer, you wrote the song, they have to pay you a separate royalty. That's publishing. Publishing, yeah. right. So I believe that there was a backroom deal cut between broadcasters and and what was the recording industry at the time, whereby they're like, let's 
push these royalty rates for the songwriters down because it's going to help all in of this us. Fo- in this format. Yes, in the on the digital format. So really specifically, it's fairly confusing to a lot of civilians what I'm specifically talking about. But I'm specifically talking about songwriters getting like you know sent a lot lot less you know that's where you get these royalty statements that are like 16 cents for you know 54,000 plays you know and stuff like that but, you know? but how 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 is the voice of the songwriter not represented in in this mythical backroom deal in in the sense that well, because the publishing companies are conglomerates the pub, the big publishing companies are conglomerates right with record labels like sony records has its sony publishing so branch. they're representing the songwriters the publishing houses and but they, there are also the record labels too right so they just did this deal without telling you well guys. yeah essentially i mm-hmm. mean and then and then there's another rationale which is not tinfoil hat right the second rationale that's part of that is that songwriters are paid when songs are broadcast on regular radio right but performers are not right and that is also totally screwed up we're the only war company well, i mean we're the only company we yeah. are a company sure. we're not a country anymore yeah, we're yeah. a company we're all our companies, companies yeah we're just individual companies uh, um the, we're the only country in the in in the democratic sort of free world that doesn't pay the performers we only pay the songwriters right so that's screwed for up radio too. play for radio play terrestrial yeah. what they call terrestrial right. radio play so that's out of balance too so what i've been trying to do is get like Let's pay the performers on terrestrial radio and let's even this thing out in the digital world, you know. But there was a somehow, some people say that there was a rationale that because songwriters were paid on terrestrial in order to even it out, yeah. you had to give the performer, the record, well, not even the performer, give the record label a bigger share when it comes to digital. Well, the weird thing is, is that it, it, it's all an indication that these, the, the, the paradigms are kind of crumbling. Mm-hmm. And that they're desperately trying to protect what, whatever investment they seem to think is getting away from them. And that means cutting out the artist somehow. Right, exactly. <laughs> and we wouldn't have put up with it in the old days. And we right. shouldn't have put it up with it Well, now, now it's more so. confusing because like, the weird thing about the old days is that you know, a record's a record. So yeah. now if something goes online in whatever form it's going to go online, it's like how does an artist even protect themselves? How do they impo- you got to employ a lawyer. you got to figure out who mm-hmm. you're going right. to fucking it's, sue. It's, and it, it's impossible. Right. Unless you're with a label. And then you can have these large arrays of computers that run around and automatically file these notices and send or cut deals with but, people right. like Sam cloud and stuff right. like that so if, right? you're, if you're an independent it, artist you're just you're on your own and you have to make the exception it's sort of like well if if if, if, if the the payoff is people know who we are right yeah which you know but that's the scam they run on you because we live in, in this medium yeah the 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 hunger for content uh, you, a human being can't keep up for the hunger for content so they right. so free content is great for them and they'll try and sell you on the idea that it's good promotional use right. so you sign <laughs> off on this shit and you and your song gets out there in the yeah. equivalent of being a hit song 20 years ago and you get nothing because you're like it's good it was for promotion right exactly it's a fucking racket it is a racket and it's and these companies that make the money off of it are even bigger than the record labels. I mean, they're even more powerful, you know? They're sure. lobbyists running around in D.C. And, and the loser- changing laws and stuff sure. like that to make They them- own it. Yeah. The loser is the guy in his van with yeah. his friends and their guitars. Right. Now, some artists do thrive in this environment, but it's the biggest artists. So, mm-hmm. so to me, it was weird is because, see, one of the things is, is that I, you know, I was kind of a proponent of the, you know, it's like when I first saw Piracy, I was like, oh, you know, I saw Napster. I looked at that. I go, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But on the other hand, I was optimistic for a long time. I go, 
but, you know, I was on an indie label, but we could sell stuff directly to our fans now. So maybe we're just cutting out the middlemen. Right. And I think there was actually this period that that worked really well. And then... It's worked well for me, but I'm not a musician. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I mean... There's no and, middleman And, and actually, in a, in a weird way, it doesn't... It doesn't actually, like, for instance, it doesn't hurt Cracker as much as it hurts Camper Van Beethoven. Because Camper Van Beethoven really did sort of never really make much money on the road. And we sort of needed to come home and have the sale of those albums that we sold. Right. And whereas Cracker, yeah, I mean, you know, every summer, you know, it's because we've had these songs that are recurrent on rock radio. I mean, I could spend the entire summer playing like the Wisconsin State Fair and the, uh, you know, outside of the Del Mar racetrack on Wednesday nights, they'll have a popular 90s band play. You know, I could spend all summer doing that, you know, and make just as much as money as I was making in the 90s from the live side of things, right? Because we are ubiquitous. We worked on having some songs that were ubiquitous. Camper never really worked on being ubiquitous, right? And so... It's it's we always needed those album sales and stuff like that. So, so it's a more difficult thing to manage that for the the medium and smaller. Sure, acts and you sort that, of got to yeah. rely on a reintroduction to right. Camper and then Even, yeah, and 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 you know the other thing is like another the last, what I think people don't understand about me is what I'm saying is like I made ninety eight percent of the money that I ever was going to make in the music business, and I was smart enough also to keep some of my technology chops and friends and stuff like that around. And like, I actually have these, I've done really well, like doing like I'm on a board of an angel investment fund and a tech incubator and all that stuff. I actually kind of have my foot in my feet in this other world too, you know? And it's like, uh, this doesn't make any monetarily like if the if we fix uh you know the way that songwriters are paid for streaming that's really not going to change the view out my window right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it is what it is for me now. but it's you a know? fight worth fighting on some well i just I, I feel like there's a lot of people that i know that don't have the advantages that i have and and that was one of the things was i actually made some money on this technology company about what was that about three years ago and one of the things i did is i actually put aside a little bit of money and i go all right nobody's gone out there and done this since lars ulrich (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you're gonna do it i'm gonna go do this i'm gonna do this for two years and see what happens right Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go around to all these conferences i'm gonna go to the tech conferences and say hey man you guys are ripping us off man we gotta fix this right and the predictable blowback happened it's not for it wasn't for the it's not for the weak, you yeah, know, yeah. to go and do that. Right. You know? I mean, it's like, you know, but I, I don't know. I feel like I made a, a difference. I feel like the debate has changed a little bit. People are thinking about this stuff. I mean, um, they're, they're, it's, at least it's being discussed now. Right. And I ended up like getting in front of Congress and testifying in front of Congress. I mean, who was the last person to do it? Was like Zappa or yeah. what was it? The Twisted Sister guy? Did yeah, he yeah, get yeah. Who, who got up there? Like D. Snyder and D. Frank Snyder. Zappa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's pretty funny. So was know? it cool? Um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't very much like. Uh, it wasn't uh, like the McCarthy here. It wasn't like no. <laughs> it's just like a handful of reporters in a room in a. You know, it's the IP subcommittee. So right. it's not like the headliner right. committee. Yeah, you know, you're yeah, on the side stage. Sure, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Right, right. But yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, you're seeing, looking up there and you're seeing these. Actually, the weirdest thing is, you know, the the guys who sort of get it the most 
are not always the you know, it's not always the Democrats, you know, like people like Conyers and Mel Watt who have ties to like some one, well, you know, business guys. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's the sometimes it's just as much the Republican guys that are coming well, over to you and going, yeah, you know, I get it. You're not asking for a handout. You just want what you're deserved. Yeah, well, I can get behind that, you know. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's uh, that's good. Yeah, support is good. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So now these campers, so you, you took a decade off with camper, yeah. basically, and now you guys are, you're all getting along and now all is good? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's fantastic. You know, we talked about Jonathan not being on Key Lime Pie, but as soon as we played together, you know, Jonathan and I had started working on records, other people's records together, like in the mid nineties. I yeah. think we did some Sparkle Horse mm-hmm. stuff and together. And uh, so we've, you know, there was five or six years we didn't hang out, but. You know, we've been sort of friends for a long time, and it's great to you know be back um, playing with Jonathan and Greg. Why'd you again. guys record Tusk, the Fleetwood Mac record? <laughs> I have to get a copy of that. I don't have it. Okay, so Camper Van Beethoven really got back together in say two thousand and one. Yeah, but we didn't really play any shows. But we decided we'd record together again. But we decided that what we would do is there's an album called Camper Van Beethoven is Dead. Long live Camper Van Beethoven. And it's a fake oddities record. We actually just kind of recorded it and pretended it like it was an oddities record right. and dropped it out there. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> <you're> very <laughs> Kaufman. What band, I think we were probably influenced by Andy Kaufman, yeah. right? You know, right. it's like, let's put out a fake oddities record as our new record. We just put it out there. It's like, okay. Oh, hey, we just discovered this, that we recorded uh, Tusk in 1987 on our four track. We finally found the tapes for that. <laughs> that wasn't true. We recorded that. The whole album. Yeah, the whole album, then put it out as if it was like something that we had done in 1987 and just put out there. Yeah. Nobody noticed. And you so did- then finally we did a new album and then just like, hey, we're back together. Yeah. But we did two albums that were fake <laughs> things from the catalog. And nobody noticed? Nobody noticed. But we, of course, we didn't really tell anybody. So I don't know how they were supposed to figure it out anyway. Right. So, you but know, that's the kind of stuff that I we enjoy get, doing. I have to get hold of Tusk. Yeah. Um, so you guys are touring on these records? We're touring on these records. Not a huge number of shows. This one is, we did two halves. We did a Northern California v- version of Camper Van Beethoven, which is a little more hippiest. That's La Costa Perdida. We put that out last year. And then this year is the follow-up, which is um, El Camino Roy- Real. Um, that's Southern California? That's Southern California, yes. Great. Do you want to do a song? Sure. What are we going to do, though? Is it from the new album? Whatever you want. Yeah. I was going to look at the words to something, but fuck it. Just haven't really played this. You know, a new album. It's funny about when you make new albums, you know? It's like there's a... You got to learn to uh, sing all those words. You add... Like, I've got like several hundred songs right now, and then you add like another 15 on top of it, right? It's like, yeah, thanks. I really needed that. So here you go. 400 miles down the Mexican coast I'm $200 from being flat broke Surf seven sisters all day long Drinking mezcal when the sun goes down I was like a grasshopper sitting on a vine Long come a senorita say you're mine Venga gringo where you gotta go 
You can stay with me just on down the road Kissing her lips and rolling on the beach Baby stay here, work for family Down the coast there's a landing strip My brother's got a plane, you can work for him Oh Lord, let me live for one more day I'll be a good boy the rest of my days Oh Lord, if you get me out of this place I'll never stray from the straight and narrow way Oh Lord, if you give me one small sign I'll be a good boy the rest of my life For the rest of my life Fat grasshopper on a sweet potato vine Saw me coming, saw me coming for miles Gringo surface from Northern Carolina We fly them down to Punta Negra Got a baby girl and she looks like mom Black curly hair and the devil's smile Better rallies know what we take up north Lord, let me live till I'm old and gray Oh Lord, if you live for one more day I'll be a good boy the rest of my days Oh Lord, if you take me out of this place I'll never trip from the straight and narrow way Oh Lord, if you give me one small sign I'll be a good boy the rest of my life For the rest of my life For the rest of my life Awesome, man. Thanks so much for doing this. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. That's it. That's our show. I enjoyed that. Nice. Nice hearing that dude sing. Nice talking to him. Oh, boy. wonder if I'm going to hear from any of those people that I live with in Somerville. Look. Go to WTFPod.com. Check out uh, everything there. Get the app. Upgrade. Get the free app. Upgrade to the premium app. You can stream all 500 million shows. Uh, what else? You can leave some comments if you want to. You can get some merch. Going to get some more mugs up there. I'm going to try and tell you guys about those special ceramic mugs before I put it on Twitter. Remind me to do that. Would somebody remind me to do that? Um, what else? What else is happening? Oh, the Trippany House. Trippany, uh, Trippany.org. Trippany House at the Steve Allen Theater. I'll be doing shows there on uh, November 11th and uh, November 18th. And I'm writing my show. And, uh, it's, and secretly having fantasies about just starting a band. What would that band be, though? Come on, man.
Boomer lives.